the laying on the apostles' hands, and in so doing, they receive spiritual gifts. And we'll talk about this a little more in detail as we go along this morning. And then, of course, all Christians, Peter tells us, and we've already learned, uh, upon ba- uh, obedience to the gospel and at baptism, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit uh, as uh, a gift. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Scriptures anywhere outline the work of the Holy Spirit in these categories, as I have them here this morning. But these categories do, I believe, fit what the Scriptures has to say about the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at each of these categories and briefly. For example, we've already discussed last week, previous week, the fact that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was received by the apostles only on Pentecost, and then later, some years later, uh, by, the, uh, by Cornelius and his household when Peter went down to preach to them at Caesarea. The purpose, the purpose of the Holy Spirit uh, falling upon the apostles at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was to um, sanction the apostles and their message and I think further to equip them and inaugurate them for the, uh, to carry out the commission uh, Jesus had given them before his ascension back into heaven. You remember we talked about that one Sunday three or four weeks ago. And um, so this was the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Its purpose at Caesarea was to show God's sanction of Peter preaching to the Gentiles and baptizing Cornelius and his household, showing that the Gentiles were uh, to be a part of this new covenant as well as the Jews. And so this is a brief summary of things that we've studied more in detail that I think shows that this first category, as it's depicted, is certainly uh, in keeping with Scripture. And then we learn that certain Christians during the days of the apostles received uh, spiritual gifts through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Now this is evident from a number of uh, passages of Scripture. Uh, One of them is Acts chapter 6. You may recall when uh, that we read there in the early verses about a situation that arose concerning the Grecian widows and how that they were being neglected uh, in the daily ministration of foods and things of that nature. And the apostles were having to leave the preaching of the word to take care of these matters, and so that was not the best thing to do. So they decided to appoint to select certain individuals to take care of these things to free them up more for the preaching of the word. And they selected seven men and... uh, the apostles laid their hands upon them, and two of these men, maybe all of them, but we know for sure that two of them uh, were given gifts of the Spirit at this time by the laying on the apostles' hand. Look at, uh, let's look at, uh, let's see if this is working. There we go. Look at Acts 6 and verse 8. Stephen, Stephen was one of the seven, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. 
And then, if we look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, we read the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when, he, when they heard him and saw the signs which he did. And so it seems that after, the, after this immediate problem that had arisen there was kind of taken care of and things were kind of, order was reestablished there, it seems that these men who had been chosen for that work and who had had the apostles' hands laid upon them and had these various gifts by, in, in that way went out preaching the word. That's true of Stephen, and it's true of, uh, of Philip, as we're going to see in just a moment. Let me say this. The power the apostles had to bestow these gifts, apparently, came from their apostolic office. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 12, there's an interesting passage. Paul said for... You have to watch me, I forget... Paul said, For in nothing am I less than the chiefest apostles, even though I am nothing. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And so there was something that differentiated the apostles from all others. And uh, this apostolic office that they had, which... uh, and, and certainly uh, uh, it, it, it began with their uh, being baptized with the Holy Spirit there on Pentecost. But this enabled them, and only them, as we're going to see, or at least it, the Scripture seems to suggest that, with the ability to impart spiritual gifts by the laying on of their hands. Let's look at um, Acts chapter 8. Verses uh, 14 through 16. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice that expression. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. If Peter's word means anything, upon their being baptized, they had received what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter said in Acts 2, in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive what? the gift of the Holy Spirit. But you say, Brother Henry, it says they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, but let's keep reading. Now let's read verses 18 through 19. Now when Simon uh, saw, remember, Peter and John were sent down from Jerusalem that that they prayed for them that they might receive. Why would they need to do this? Well, no, let me do this. I think this is a good place to say it. Well, if people here are accepting the gospel, the church is being established in this area, soon Philip, Peter, and John would be going to other places. 
They didn't have a Bible like you and I have. Remember, at this time, inspiration was in what? In the man, not in the book. So they didn't have a book. They couldn't go out and teach their neighbors and say, turn to this passage or that passage. There was no passage to turn to. And so there would be the need for them to have the ability to preach, to know what to say, and then they would need to be able to confirm their message with these signs. So that's why Peter and John, you say, are you guessing at that, brother? No, I'm not guessing. Let's read verses 18 through 19. Now when Simon saw, Simon was one of the converts, you remember. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. So this receiving of the Spirit that was talked about in verses 14 to 16 was that which imparted gifts because that's what we're we're reading here. Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands. He offered them money saying, Give me power to do this that upon anyone on whom I lay my hands they may receive the Holy Spirit as well. And so... The Samaritans who had been baptized already had already received the gift of the Spirit, that is, the Holy Spirit is a gift, but they needed gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. And it, oh, me. Um, and so Peter and John went down, laid their hands upon them, imparting these gifts, so that when they left, these people would have these abilities that they need. Well, what kinds of abilities would they have? Well, in chapter 19 of the book of Acts, we read that that the laying on the apostles' hands gave power to 12 men in Ephesus. Do you remember that? And they were given the ability to speak with tongues and to what? Prophesy. Now, why would they need that? Well, in Ephesus... There would be, when any group gathered together, there would be likely people in the audience who spoke different languages. Just as was true on the day of Pentecost. They would need the ability to speak in the languages of the people gathered without ever having studied those languages. And then this gift of prophecy would be the ability to teach, to know what to say. And so these were things necessary in the... uh, uh, early in the early church. This uh, was also, this laying on of Paul's hands was the means by which Timothy obtained uh, uh, a gift from God. Here in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, Paul told Timothy, fan into flame. King James says, stir up. Stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand, 2 Timothy 1 and 6. It's significant also that the church in Corinth was not lacking in any spiritual gift, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. It's interesting because the Apostle Paul had spent well more than a year with them there in Corinth. And he would have had ample opportunity to lay hands upon people there, imparting to them various gifts, and we're going to read about what those gifts were a little bit later on this morning, in order that they might carry on the work there after he had gone. 
So that was true in Corinth. They were not lacking in any spiritual gift. But at the time Paul wrote to the church in Rome, they, Paul, Paul said that, uh, that, that they had not, as far as we know, had any visit from any apostle at that time. And so Paul said, I desire to be with you that I may what? Impart unto you some spiritual gifts. And so they had plenty in Corinth because Paul had been there. He had not been to Rome yet. One of his reasons for wanting to go was that he might impart spiritual gifts to them there. And so this seems to confirm then the second category of that chart that we talked about. And of course, every believer in Jesus Christ who accepts Christ and is obedient to, uh, obedient to the commands of the gospel receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of Peter um, in Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 30. It's given to all who obey the Lord. It's a non-miraculous uh, gift uh, given to those, uh, those who possess it, do not have the ability to speak in tongues or to work miracles or to do anything of that nature. This is a gift that we receive today upon obedience to the gospel, but we don't need this ability because we have what? We have the Word of God. We have the, uh, the inspiration now in the book. Okay. Uh, this, the possession of this gift, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is the basis of our sonship in God's family. You remember we read in Galatians 4 and verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's also that which binds uh, members of the body together, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. And this gift of the Spirit is also the basis for holiness uh, of one's physical body. We talked at length about 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, where Paul said, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have from God. Glorify uh, Him in your body which belongs to Him. So, great motivation to live uh, a godly life when we realize that it is, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think then, understanding at least the, the truth conveyed in this chart, helps keep, it keeps us from, from attributing the special work that the Holy Spirit did with certain persons in the first century to, uh, to today. And, uh, and we again, something we talked about earlier, there are those who would have us believe that Holy Spirit baptism is still with us today. And uh, this uh, helps us to um, not understand it that way. Okay. Um, we've already mentioned in the very beginning that sometimes the word measure is used um, in conveying the idea that the Spirit is received uh, by in certain degrees or measures by different people. The, the passage used as a basis for this concept, I want us to look at it. Because this is a concept that we have to be very... 
one thing I've tried to do all through this and is to keep us reminded of the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. He's a spiritual being, possesses attributes, you know, he can be grieved, he can, different things we talked about. Uh, he's not a glorified it. He's not a physical thing. A lot of people, even today, want to want to make fashion the Holy Spirit in some sort of physical way. It, it almost is like those of, of uh, ancient times who wanted to make their God, fashion their God in a way that they could see, feel, and touch. And so we want the Holy Spirit to be a physical thing or some experience that we can physically feel or something. But that's not true. And so we need to be very careful when we talk about this concept of measure. It comes from a verse that I want us to look at. This is the passage used. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. It's based particularly upon the King James translation uh, of this of this verse. The King James Version says, For God hath given not the Spirit uh, by measure unto him. Now you'll notice that in, this is the English Standard Version, and it says, uh, For he gives the Spirit without measure. Not God gives the Spirit without measure, but he gives the Spirit without measure. And, uh, and, uh, but in this one, um, <laughs> what am I doing? There we go. King James Version says, For God giveth the Spirit by measure unto him. And if you've got a King James translation in your lap, you'll notice the, the phrase unto him is in italics. And you probably know that that means always that they're, they're not... They're not Greek words back of that. Those words are supplied. And, and, and often, maybe even most often, it's good that they're supplied because they, they help complete the idea, the sense of the passage. But it is, we do need to know that, that, they're not, uh, that they are not there. Well, it is thought that, that, that this passage teaches that God bestowed the Spirit upon Jesus without measure, and it does that. But then the thought goes on to say that the apostles then received another measure uh, of the Spirit when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Uh, it was less of a measure, the idea is, than that which Jesus received because he received the Holy Spirit without measure. And then they go on to say that then that those who were, had received yet another measure when they have the uh, apostles' hands laid upon them, and then finally still an, another measure uh, is given to those who receive the gift of the Spirit. And through the years, you may have even heard the expression, the baptismal measure, the laying on of hands measure, and the ordinary measure. Have you heard those expressions? <laughs> Those are expressions that we sometimes use to refer to 
these uh, gifts of, of uh, the Spirit. But it's, we have to be careful with this because, as I've suggested, the word measure involves the measurement of a physical thing. And some have the idea that the Spirit is a physical thing that it can be measured. One measure to this one, another measure to another. And the passage, of course, does not teach this. The Holy Spirit is God, and He cannot be divided into portions. So let's look at the passage. First, who is the giver of the Holy Spirit in this passage? Who is the giver? Uh, is it Jesus who gives the Spirit without measure, as maybe is suggested in the English Standard Version? Or is it God who gives the Spirit without measure? <clears throat> or rather, uh, yeah, is it God who is given the Spirit without measure unto Him? Well, the King James suggests, obviously, that it should be rendered God. But we must say that this translation is without strong textual support. It's not found in some of the earliest and best manuscripts. But that doesn't mean that it's not correct. In fact, the context seems to support the King James translation that God is the giver. Notice, the first part of the verse refers to God sending Jesus. Uh, God has sent, uh, God has, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. And then the the verse after it says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hands. And so in the immediate context, just before this statement, and just after it, it has God. And so this immediate context would suggest that it is, it, it, that it is a correct translation, that God is the one who gives the Spirit without measure. But uh, it, it is true that, that um, he is used by John in, in passages close by to refer to Jesus. For example, in verses 30 through 34, let's notice it says, He must increase, but I must decrease. Talking about Christ. He who comes from above is above all. Talking about Christ. What he has seen and heard, of that he bears witness, talking about Christ. And then he whom God has sent, it's Christ whom God has sent. And so he, meaning Christ, is in the context, but in the immediate context, as we've just seen, the, verse, the, the phrase right before, the, phrase, uh, the part of the uh, scripture in, in question, and the sentence right after it uh, refers to God. And so the immediate context, it seems to me, refers to God as the sender of Jesus and God the giver of all things to Jesus. And he's the one that gives uh, unto him, Jesus, the Spirit without measure. But secondly, the verb translated gives is in the present tense. And it's present progressive. And that just means past action that's still in progress. 
And so that, would, that just simply means the Holy Spirit who was given without measure is still in the process of, of, being, of being given. And that would fit better the idea of God giving the Spirit to Jesus without, uh, without uh, measure. And then finally, the use of the phrase without measure does not require that we understand the Holy Spirit to be a physical quantity. Something can be measured out as once. It, it, it doesn't require us to believe that the Spirit is something that can be measured out to one person to this degree and another person to another degree. He's God. He's Spirit. He does not have flesh and bone. And, uh, and uh, uh, so the meaning of the expression without measure seems to be without restriction, without limitation. The idea seems to be that God gives the Spirit to him, Jesus, without restriction, without limitation whatsoever. Okay. Now let's move on from that to talk more specifically about the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked in a variety of ways in the New Testament church. And this is seen particularly in the spiritual gifts um, that um, uh, in, in the in the spiritual gifts that he distributed these um, let's look at first Corinthians, uh, first Corinthians twelve verses four to eleven and I want you to notice uh, uh, some of the words in particular I don't remember yeah I have them a little darker maybe you can follow me here now there are varieties of gifts not the same gift different gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given. To each is given. The manifestation of the Spirit for what purpose? For the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. That's one of the gifts. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually, now notice this, as he wills. So, these spiritual gifts are all from the Holy Spirit. They were not all the same. Different Christians apparently possessed different gifts. All for the common good and all working together they could accomplish whatever needed to be accomplished as they sought to evangelize the world for Christ. The, uh, 
the diversity of gifts were not, was not a sign of holiness of the receiver, but was a matter of the sovereign will of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the possession of one gift did not put one person over another. If you're familiar with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you're aware that the context suggests there that some in Corinth who had the gifts of tongues was puffed up about it. They, for some reason, felt that that was a special kind of gift and that they had been singled out specially for that gift and that they were really something. But that's not true. All the gifts were important, necessary, and for the common good. And the distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit is, uh, is, is indicated not just in this passage, but other passages as well. For example, let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at the first by the Lord and, and was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. There again, according to His will. By the way, the word translated signs here literally means distributions. And so the Holy Spirit, according to His own will, made distributions of gifts to confirm the word uh, spoken by the apostles. This is something important, I think, for us to, to, to have in mind. There's a difference between the concept of the Holy Spirit being the distributor of gifts to individuals and the concept of individuals receiving measures of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a distributor of gifts. And, uh, and uh, we should keep that in mind. The New Testament, in the New Testament, the distribution of the Holy Spirit means gifts given by the Holy Spirit. The word measure in connection with the Holy Spirit um, is used only one time in the New Testament. And it's in the passage that we looked at earlier. John 3 and verse 34. Um, and it's used there with the negative, without measure. And it refers to Christ who received the, uh, the fullness of the Spirit and, and uh, received the Spirit apparently without restriction or limitation whatsoever. And it is never used in a positive way to refer to a portion of of the Holy Spirit being given or working in an individual. There is no reference in the Scripture to the baptismal measure of the Spirit. There's no reference in the Scripture to the laying on of hands measure of the Spirit. And there's no reference, of course, in the Scripture to the ordinary measure of the Spirit. Um, I suppose we can we can can use this analogy of measures it, it, as long as we understand that 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 it's just an illustration 
and we don't take it too far <laughs> and uh, let it cause us to believe something or to think something about the Holy Spirit that is, that is not true. Uh, okay, I've got to speak this morning as well, so I'm going to cut this a little bit short, but I have some questions for you today. Remember, I gave you some last week. We won't do a pop quiz, but these are questions that you might think about when you go home and uh, rethink this lesson or with regard to your own study. One question is this, show the different ways the Holy Spirit has worked since the ascension of Jesus. Show what persons and what purposes were involved in each way. Show the different ways the Holy Spirit has worked on earth since the ascension of Jesus. Second question, what is the meaning of of Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit without measure? What do you think that means? And then third, what kind of gifts were distributed by the Holy Spirit? What were their purposes? And what determines their reception? And finally, should one refer to the different works of the Holy Spirit as measures of the Spirit? Any questions or comments? Measures of power that the Holy Spirit, Cecil says. Measures of, of the way people are influenced by the Spirit. Okay. Giving you a little, well, not much. The bell should be ringing. I guess our bell keeper's gone too. <laughs>